Hello and welcome to the Venture Forth Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Mahavadivani. We'll be chatting with some of the most interesting founders, startups, and VCs about the experiences that led them to where they are today, what they're currently working on, as well as the journey ahead of them. Hey, VentureForth listeners. On today's show, we're continuing to follow the rapid rise of the blockchain. The blockchain, cryptocurrency, and most recently ICOs represent something of a tech wild west, where enterprising entrepreneurs like today's guests, John Chow and Tony Tran from the B Token, can build and fund their projects by circumventing traditional venture capital and invite regular people like you and me to get involved early. So what is the B Token? The B Token is building a decentralized home sharing network where hosts and guests can connect with one another without going through a middleman like Airbnb or VRBO. That means cheaper stays for guests and more money for hosts, democratizing access for just about anybody. Of course, BTOKEN is also holding their own ICO, or initial coin offering, in February, and currently going through the process, so I wanted to share their story not only as a friend and fan of the project, but also to share the learnings for others who plan to hold their own ICOs in 2018. What's more, their ICO presale launched yesterday on January 2nd and was way oversubscribed and successfully closed just five minutes later. I'm excited to learn all about those exciting few minutes. John, Tony, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having us, Joe. Yep, thanks for having us. Cool. Yeah, I mean, before we jump into the project and the pre-sale, I, I wanted to get to know yourselves and your backgrounds and what you were doing prior to partnering on the B-Token. Um, I guess I'll go first. Hey, folks, this is Tony from the B-Token. Prior to the B-Token, uh, I worked at Uber as one of the leads for the payment risk team. Basically, we worked on building machine learning models, Building features, basically to prevent people from basically defrauding Uber. Oh yeah, so so Tony and I were colleagues at Uber. Uh, Tony was the best engineer I knew there, and we both worked on similar features regarding fraud and security, which heavily deals with cri- cryptocurrency. And can't be more excited to finally uh, leave corporate and pursue our dream in cryptocurrency. I mean, so cryptocurrency is a huge wild west, and you guys could have pursued any idea to build on the blockchain. What challenges or opportunities led to deciding to pursue this idea versus, let's say, both coming from Uber, building an Uber on the blockchain? Yeah, so I think based on our experiences with cryptocurrency, we've realized that a lot of the the necessity is in the execution rather than the original originality of the idea. So we've actually read about this idea, not only from Don Tapscott's book, but also from Berniski's book about a decentralized Airbnb or Uber. And these are basically the biggest names in the sharing economy middleman industry. So for us, we took what is an obvious use case and decided to focus more on the execution. And I don't think we can claim being too original in, in this idea, but we're definitely uh, proud to work on it. So did you guys bootstrap or did you take VC money to, to start BTOKEN? Yeah, I think we, we bootstrapped. We worked uh, with for no pay oh, yeah. pursuing this <laughs> and, and <laughs> just recently got some funding. So yes. it's been definitely been a journey. Big so how, how long has that journey been so far? I mean, this whole explosion of, of uh, crypto and ICOs has only been you know fairly recent, maybe the second half of 2018. Yeah, so we've been working on this project for like five, six months now. Um, while we were still here, this was like a side project, all legally approved, by the way. And yeah, five, six months. So what's been the biggest challenge or surprise so far that you've encountered in this process? I think what's really important is to realize how each component, like whether it's marketing, whether it's 
engineering, whether it's uh, product, how all of that plays together and the timing it has is so precise and so quick. So say, for example, a plan that would work in terms of spreading the awareness one or two months ago is completely out of date uh, as of January. So, so, so I think being able to keep up with that breakneck speed has been one of the most rewarding parts about cryptocurrency, but also one of the hardest because a lot of things just become irrelevant very quickly. Interesting. Yeah, we'll we'll dive into the timing piece, uh, especially now that it's 2018 and there's been a lot of changes, uh, even super recently. How is the BTOKEN using the blockchain to differentiate from traditional or even other blockchain-based home-sharing platforms? I've, I've read about a few uh, recently. Yeah, so for centralized sharing platforms, the advantages are twofold. It's the first part, which is democratizing access. So basically giving that token out to everyone in your network. So as the network grows, everyone wins, as opposed to traditionally, only the founders and VCs will win. Um, and there are a very select few of the entire ecosystem. And then the second part is removing the middleman and taking that commission from 15 to 20% to zero. So that's against traditional. And then against other blockchain-based platforms, I think the most important part is we're the only one we're aware of that's based in the United States, which is where we're going to be rolling out first. We're more focused on making sure that it works for us where we are rather than focusing on exactly like what other projects are doing. But I think we're pretty confident um, in our execution ability and also in our uh, local markets. I understand that you guys are also building protocols that other people can use within the blockchain ecosystem. Can you kind of briefly describe those? Yeah. So through our journey to build a decentralized home sharing platform, we realized that the Ethereum blockchain is a, a very general, unbiased blockchain that's used for general purpose. And then when you want to build a decentralized application, like similar to Airbnb, on top of that, there's a lot of parts in the middle that are missing. And so for us, when we've been building this platform, we basically realized that a lot of these other projects will also need the same types of technologies. And they're what we call the PAR protocols. P is for payment, which deals with escrows, invoices, and handling the money. And we're partnering with the popular request network out of Europe, uh, which deals with decentralized payments to make this happen. Arbitration, and this deals with subjectivity on the blockchain. So how when something goes wrong and a smart contract or logic cannot fully solve it, how, how do you deal with that on the blockchain? And then uh, reputation, which is identity management, KYC, uh, being able to incorporate immutable feedback, all of that. So we see a lot of real-world applications will need very similar feature sets, and, and we're going to be open-sourcing it later this year. Oh, very cool. So anybody can use those. Yeah, so any, anyone who requires the PR protocols, uh, who, who doesn't want to reinvent the wheel, who wants to like bootstrap their network quicker, can plug in. You guys just held your, I, I guess, the pre-sale of your ICO. Um, before we kind of dig into the specifics, can you briefly explain to the audience what an ICO is? Oh, sure. So an ICO is an in initial coin offering. And the way we, we view it is initially when you incorporate a new cryptocurrency to the market, it, it has no intrinsic value. It needs a peg, some, something to, to, to determine it. And so at ICO, you basically trade your new cryptocurrency for an existing mainstream cryptocurrency, which is usually Ethereum, but sometimes Bitcoin as well. And that will then peg the initial value of your cryptocurrency. And it will also provide funding for the project. How much were you targeting to raise in your ICO and, and who can participate? Sure. So our total raise is $15 million, But for the ICO itself, we will only have $5 million left. 
and we're allowing anyone to participate who is not within one of the countries where ICOs are restricted, which I believe is U.S., yes, Canada. Canada, China. The full list is online. Okay, so let's talk about the, the pre-sale for a minute because uh, I just read in a, I think one of your colleagues, Min, posted, uh, Queen Bee, I like to call her, uh, <laughs> your your ICO was ridiculously successful. Your, your at least your presale was ridiculously successful and closed within five minutes. How much did you end up pulling together in that short time frame? Yeah. So for us, we were only raising from accredited investors, and they had to fill out a four-page form, uh, including like their accreditation docs or identity. So we have no idea how everyone finished it so quickly. <laughs> um, but basically, we raised five million in that round. And um, we wanted to give everyone a chance to, to participate as opposed to usually people go straight to the VCs. And, and we saw uh, hundreds of applications pour in within, within minutes. It was insane. How soon after the ICO will people be able to book stays then on your platform? Yeah, so originally we're going to be releasing a testnet in which, which everyone can see how the platform works. And then later on in Q1 and Q2, people will actually be able to book stays in San Francisco using BTOKEN Live. So, so a lot of people out there own, you know, Bitcoin and Ether and soon BTOKEN. Why is a BTOKEN necessary for your platform? Why not use Ethereum or Bitcoin instead? Yeah, so I think the most important part of uh, having your own cryptocurrency is you're able to track the usage of your network. So, for example, if we use Ethereum or Bitcoin, we wouldn't, we wouldn't know how many of those people are actually using it for home sharing as opposed to other uh, parts. And the second part is being able to control your own token metrics. So there's a lot of token metrics out there. Say, for example, uh, sinks and burns or inflation or how exactly you want the mechanisms to work. So for us, we, we view having that flexibility as well as being able to, to adapt to other general blockchains extremely crucial for our development. Do you think most people are going to be buying B tokens to, to actually use on the platform or to invest and speculate on its future value? Yeah, so for us, there's always going to be a healthy mix of both. Cryptocurrency wouldn't be what it is without, without the latter, but our platform hopefully will instill some confidence on, on the former. And what, what I can say is the reason why um, one of the business models we're taking is similar to Binance Exchange. And Binance Exchange has become very popular lately. If you use Binance token on Binance, it reduces your trading fees by 50%. And so that's exactly what we're doing for BTOKEN. If you're using BTOKEN on our platform, we charge no commission on every transaction. And if you want to use Ethereum, Bitcoin, or other popular ERC-20 tokens, we'll charge a 1% to 2% convenience fee. Okay, so BTOKEN doesn't charge to use the platform. So how does BTOKEN make money? Right, so so like I mentioned before, if you use Ethereum, Bitcoin, or ERC-20, we will charge a 1% to 2% convenience fee. And we do see a lot of people ultimately perhaps skipping the, per, the process of holding B token for that. And additionally, we have a sponsored listings business plan, which basically means you can move your housing listing further up the page or even to a front page by paying B token. And mm. that's on the business side. And on the protocol side, we see that um, applications that continue to build on top of the B protocols will make a little bit of income from there. Everything seemed to be going really, really well for Airbnb until they ran into a couple of different things, being like government regulation and taxes uh, and collecting taxes from hosts. And then ultimately, like trust and safety issues where people were trashing people's apartments and that sort of thing. How are you addressing those issues? Yeah, so for government regulation and tax, we, we actually defer to what Airbnb has done. Um, we think they're the leader in the space and they've pretty much paved the road there. 
So we're we're uh, are uh, taking advice from former Airbnb employees, from other people in the space who are familiar with the home sharing platform, and we're basically implementing the same regulatory practices as them. And that's why we're rolling out in a local market first, which we understand. In terms of trust and safety, so this comes down to two parts. First is the financial aspect in which if something goes wrong, what what happens to like being compensated properly and such. And that's where our arbitration protocols, uh, which take care of the customer service, come in. And the actual safety issue in which we actually recommend you either call like 911 directly still or we actually partner with a popular project called Guardian Circle, which handles uh, decentralized emergencies. Oh, interesting. That's very, it's, I think it's really cool to see different crypto based companies working together to s- collectively solve these problems for everybody. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a small ecosystem. I think, I think the hype has definitely been hot, but the actual technologies are still young and, and working together is something that we need to mature the market for sure. There's been a lot of, I guess, uh, regulatory challenges just in, even in the last couple of weeks or, or a few months with the SEC coming in and starting to regulate things. They've identified some companies who have been marketing something called you know, a utility token when it's really security. Before we jump into those things, what is the difference between a utility token and a security? Well, the way we view it is, and of course we're not lawyers, is a security is more similar to equity in the fact that it represents uh, ownership of a company. It represents like profit sharing. It, it represents all the things that could potentially be more speculative. And then, oh, I, I don't know if that's speculative is the right word, <laughs> but it, it's more it's more the traditional part. And then the a utility token generally has a base use case in which it clearly has a purpose. And the purpose is not for investment, and the purpose is not for uh, making money uh, around that nature. When you end up ICOing, uh, in order for the B token to be considered a utility token, does the platform have to launch sort of in full? Like, do I need to be able to use the token right away? Yeah, so we've seen a lot of hybrid approaches to this. And in general, I think the consensus we view is the product has to at least be of existence. It has to be at least live on the Ethereum testnet. Um, how you actually classify the utility of it could be like, it gives you access to, to testnet. But but there, there definitely has to be some type of proof that this token is usable as opposed to just there. So, I mean, as we mentioned, the SEC has been starting to impose a lot of its will on businesses holding ICOs. And you guys are working toward that in February. And I can only imagine the size of many of these companies' legal bills. So how legal are ICOs and how difficult has it been for you guys to stay on top of the moving compliance target? So, so I, think, I think the recent regulatory filing uh, regarding Munchie was, was huge because it basically raised the bar for utility tokens to clear what, what, what is deemed as legal before. It, it was a lot, a lot more gray and a lot less strict in, in many ways. And so I think it's definitely, it comes with the um, landscape. And we've been working with some pretty pretty well-known uh, firms on, on this and getting a lot of legal opinions. I, I think cryptocurrency is still not 100% black and white, but we're definitely doing as much as we can to fall within reason. Interesting, yeah. Do you think that the SEC and the government are going to retroactively apply, you know, new policy to companies that have ICO'd? Kind of similar to the Munchie case where, you know, I read that they had to essentially give the money back and reset. So I think the the way we, we like to view this is you don't want to be the obvious one standing out who's being extremely flagrant. So for us, we want to target something that is normal, acceptable, um, follows the 
the regulations reasonably. And we think that the SEC, what they're actually trying to do is protect the general public because this is the first time that unaccredited investors can get their hands into companies at ground zero. And this causes a lot of problems because these are new investors who have never, who, who are investing significant amounts of their own well-being, like in terms of financial situations, as opposed to accredited investors who are millionaires, basically. How is that different than the old school sort of friends and family round? I actually don't know if friends and family can legally invest, can they? I don't know. So the, I think the way we, we viewed it as is before, when you wanted to invest as a friend or family um, into a new company, you have to at least be an accredited investor because what you're buying is essentially a security or equity. Now that it's 2018, how do you imagine the ICOs process changing between last year and, and this year? I think last year it was really wild. It was new and it, it was a really interesting concept. I think this year it still is very novel, but the bar will be raised. The government is more aware of what's happening. The hedge funds are more aware of what's happening. The companies and co-founders are ha- see a lot more precedence in, in the way we're able to operate our companies as opposed to just trying out new things. So I think the quality of, of ICOs will go up. And, and and also, yeah, I think that's the main part. I think I think the quality of ICOs will definitely go up. There's a lot more due diligence done and a lot more awareness about uh, what what an ICO really is and, and what's the fundamental substance behind it rather than the fact that it's just an ICO. In a previous episode of uh, the Venture Forth podcast with Mike Jones of Science Inc., we talked about the need to strike while the ICO is hot. From an outsider's perspective, it seems like the amounts being raised have decreased and the fervor and sort of FOMO from a few months ago have slowed down a bit, especially as the price of Bitcoin has been skyrocketing, but kind of maybe slowed down a bit and and Ether as well. Has this been your observation as well? I mean, we still don't find message. I think uh, the FOMO is definitely still there. The fervor is definitely still there. There are definitely more ICOs occurring. So that's one one observation. But for us, people are definitely still interested. In that sense, then, what is your response to people who say that ICOs are scams? I think this is this is like saying ninety nine percent of startups fail. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's 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 basically the same in ICO world. Um, and and if anything, the failure rate will probably be even higher because back then you had to at least get money from a venture capitalist who is quote unquote sophisticated, and now you can get money from almost anyone who believes in your idea, but your ability to execute may not may not be there, but. But that being said, I, I think there will be a lot of companies that are going to be around for a bit. Not not all of them, but I, I think I think the, the, the level of talent is definitely starting to flow in. And and, and I, th- I think the market itself is starting to reflect that. The wave of alternative cryptocurrencies is definitely becoming more popular among um, the crowd. What is the most common uh, misconception about crypto that you guys have seen? If you, were, if you were to ask me this a year ago, Joe, I'd say that the most common misconception is that cryptocurrency is only used for like drugs, various sort of activities. But that's definitely not the case. Uh, you have companies such as us who are trying to build like legitimate use cases with cryptocurrency. Yeah, and, and I also think that one of the most interesting parts is people don't understand how early we are in cryptocurrency. For example, Bitcoin and Ethereum are, are wildly imperfect and and and. People, they buy them thinking that they're the gold standard, that they're already there, um, able to solve everything. I think that's the the part that would be amazing for people to understand, that we're still really early in cryptocurrency, and there's still a lot that needs to be done. 
and if it is done, then the market will continue to rapidly expand into a, a world-affecting sector. Hmm. What do you believe will be the future of cryptocurrencies, like not just in 2018, but 2020, 2025, that sort of thing? Oh man, that's that's tough because uh, in cryptocurrency, time moves so quickly. So a year <laughs> in crypto is like five years outside. You flying cars soon, Joe. So I, I I think for us, what we're seeing for the next year is definitely more real world applications of the blockchain being pushed out because at some point the hype and speculation it it has to come back down to fundamentals and and people will start to question like how what exactly does our cryptocurrency do how does it affect our life and so i think i think that's the vision for us for next year uh, which is five years in normal time so (laughs) Um, I, I think I think that that's what we're what we're gonna see. So for those listening who are interested in starting a blockchain business and holding their own ICO, what is the best piece of advice that you can offer them? I think in comparison to general traditional companies, in the blockchain industry, community is so important. Being able to engage with with other crypto enthusiasts, being able to talk the language, being able to understand what they want, understand the technology, and like the community will go above and beyond. Um, to, to support your project. And, and, and we think uh, making sure that you're aligned with them is very important because, because the people who are supporting your project are not like one or two VCs, but thousands of people. Interesting. Uh, guys, so there's sort add, of, sorry. Sorry, Joe, I just want to add to that one quick piece of advice. Move fast. Interesting. Why is that? I, I mean, I think I have a good sense of why that's important, but what would you say is the sort of thoughts behind that? Is this because the, the ecosystem and the rules are changing as quickly as they are, or that there's so many people coming into the ecosystem that you want to be the first home sharing platform out there or so forth? All of the above, to be honest with you, Joe. But you know, the main thing is things change so quickly in the crypto community that you need to move fast or else you're going to be left behind. Got it. Very cool. Yeah, it's been really exciting to watch you guys uh, build this thing because, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a team come together as quickly and project uh, move as quickly as the B token. So it's been really fun to watch. So that moves us right into our quickfire round. Uh, and so these are kind of the, the short form Q&A to kind of get to know more about you guys. So to start, what is uh, each of your favorite books? One of the books I really enjoyed was Choose, Your- Choose Yourself by James Altucher, <laughs> who, who, who is also now shilling crypto all day, so it's uh. interesting. <laughs> How about you, Tony? You about the books that uh, I've given people. I've given people a book called uh, The Art of Learning. Uh, I've also given people uh, this book called uh, Artificial Intelligence and Modern Crypt by, by uh, Peter Nordic. It's a great book. Yeah, those two books, uh, I'd say, are my favorite books. So what do you guys collect, if anything, and Why? I mean, I collect shitloads of cryptocurrency. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's it, to be honest. Hmm. It's a good collection to have right now. Uh, for me, uh, I like to collect like random quotes that uh, inspire me. I love that. Give me your best. <laughs> hmm. First one that comes to my head is... Uh... Give me a second, Joe. <laughs> All right, we'll come uh, back to... <laughs> life begins where your comfort zone ends. How about that? I love that. Words to live by. Uh- <laughs> Definitely one of the reasons why we, uh, we did we're, we're, one of the reasons why we're doing what we're doing. I love it. Uh, what were your dream jobs as kids? I think I think I had a pretty normal dream job. Um, I just wanted to be an entrepreneur because my parents were both entrepreneurs. So I think the hustle and uh, building things was really interesting to me. Uh, as for me, I loved building things as little kids. I loved playing with Legos. So being an engineer was like what I saw of myself being as a kid. 
what is one thing that you guys spend way too much money on? And I, and I guess I, I may have a, a a good idea of what the answer may be, um, <laughs> and, and that you don't regret. Something that you spend way too much money on that you don't regret. Uh, for me, whenever I go, go out with my buddies, you know, spending good time with them, having everyone having a good time, you know, there's never regret uh, spending too much money on drugs. Yeah, yeah, um, I agree. I agree there. I think. I think. Um, the, the, the way I like to view this is people won't trade their crypto for almost anything except for maybe a memorable experience, and that's why we're building BTOKEN. Yep. I love that. <laughs> Great answer. Uh, and so in 2017, Uber saw an enormous amount of controversy that runs the scandal gamut. <laughs> <laughs> As two former Uber employees, what would you change or improve if you were CEO for a day? No, we were actually there for that, Joe. Um, I'm not sure how John feels about it, but... If I were CEO of Uber for a day, and we do have a new CEO uh, at Uber, but if I was CEO, then one thing I would change would be to not be as political. You know, as an employee, as a former employee at Uber, you, know, you want to go to work, you want to build cool things, you want to change the world. You don't necessarily want to deal with the politics mm-hmm. that much. That's just my personal take. Yeah, I, I think I think the hardest part of Uber is re- just how uh, in the red they were. Mm-hmm. So, so you want to pay your employees the most um, that that you think they deserve. You want to reward them properly, but when you're like bleeding three billion dollars a year, it's it's really hard to do any of that. So, so I think I think Uber is just in a tough fi- uh, situation financially, and, and I think being able to curb the growth a bit in order to foster a healthier uh, internal stabilization would, would would be my suggestion. Give me your best B pun. Oh, behave, Joe. <laughs> yeah so so i i, I like i like uh, one of our podcasts it was a uh, to be or not to be mm. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the point in the show where i give the platform to you guys to give you the opportunity to plug anything that you want maybe i can start real quick um i just want to thank everyone uh, who's supported us from the beginning i want to thank our team in particular i want to thank all our friends and uh, definitely want to thank the community uh, for all your support uh, help and support. Yeah, fully agree. Th- thanks to thanks to everyone uh, who's been with us since since we were nothing, and thanks to everyone who's getting on now. And we hope to build a great platform. And then I don't know if I should throw our, our social media, but our website is by all means B- awesome. So our our website is btoken.com, B as in B E E, and we're really active on Telegram. That's our favorite um, social media to engage on. Actually, if I can ask one more question that's always uh, been sort of on my mind, where did the name B token come from? Why bees? Um, when you think of B, what do you think of? You think of something that goes around from petal to petal, flower to flower, and just basically spreading its joy and spreading, you know, pollinating the world uh, with its, basically with the with bee stuff. <laughs> <laughs> What, what do you say, John? Yeah, it, it's happy. So, so, so we 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 envision a bee flying around, um, almost like it's traveling the world and staying in different bee nests, and, and that's what and, and that's why we think um, it, it's con- very very similar to the idea of traveling. Ah, that that makes a lot of sense. Um, that's the impression that I got as well. Is that there's kind of a community aspect uh, to this. Um, you know, there's a bit of a network involved because I mean, bees are communicating in a collective, but also kind of peer to peer. And so that's the the sort of thing that comes to mind. The other one is that uh, I think bees live in hives, <laughs> <laughs> and maybe not so much nests, but. <laughs> <laughs> so 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 we we thought beehive sounded a little bit uh, dangerous, like like there's 
angry bees there. So so we, we wanted to go something a little softer there. Got Joel, it. I was with you, though. I, I preferred beehive, but, you know, bee nest sounds good, too. <laughs> Got <laughs> it. John, Tony, I, I really want to thank you both for your time today and sharing the bee token journey from idea conception to ICO in such a short amount of time. It's been an extremely impressive to, to watch you guys build and grow this thing into what I believe is going to be one of the hottest ICOs in 2018. I'm excited to see the continued growth of the business and look forward to being a member of the Bee Nest community. Again, thank you for sharing your story on the Venture Forth podcast. Thank, thank you, Joe. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe to the VentureForth podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. You can also follow at VentureForthPod on Twitter for our latest updates. As always, I'm your host, Joe Mahavutivani, and thank you for listening to the VentureForth podcast.